Mark titled this, The Sacrifices We Make. And if I refer to the first person, imagine it's Mark instead of me. Because he was the one that wrote this. Uh, the reference, by the way, is to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. So if you want to open your Bibles up to there, that would, that's the reference text, I believe, as you would call it. There was a Christmas play where a little boy desperately wanted to be Joseph. But when the parts were handed out, his biggest rival was given that part, and he was assigned to be the innkeeper instead. He was really bitter about this. So during all the rehearsals, he kept plotting in his mind what he might do to get even with his rival, who was Joseph. Finally, the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph walked across the stage. They knocked on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper opened the door and asked him what they wanted. Joseph answered, we'd like to have a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw the door open wide and said, Great, come on in, and I'll give you the best room in the house. That wasn't in the script. For a few long seconds, poor little Joseph didn't know what to do. Then finally, an idea occurred to him. He pretended to look inside the inn, and then, turning to Mary, he said, No wife of mine is staying in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. And as I would personally say, I'm going myself here, that's my reaction to his days in. <laughs> now, did Joseph ever say anything like that in Gospels? No. In fact, I've, Mark, done a study of nativity stories in Matthew and Luke, and I found that Joseph never said anything anywhere in the Gospels. Not a single word. In Matthew 1, 18-24, we're told... Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, was, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he may have had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give the son the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what as Sorry, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to, as his wife, as was recorded in Matthew 1 and 24. Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and took Mary home, took Mary to be his wife. In Matthew 2, 13 through 15, we're told that when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, as is recorded in Matthew 2 and 15. Again, Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and went to Egypt. 
Then in Matthew 2 and 22 we read, When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, Matthew 2 and 22. I may mispronounce that ruler's name, I apologize. Again, Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and went to Nazareth. Joseph was kind of like the silent partner in the story. He never speaks up, never complains. He just does what, you're told, what he's told. And you got to believe he, that couldn't have been easy. One preacher put it this way. Joseph didn't expect to raise a boy that he actually wasn't a father of. He didn't expect to be traipsing around the countryside on the run from Herod's soldiers. He didn't expect to live in Egypt. And he didn't expect to be responsible for, for the training and protection of the Son of God. I mean, before Mary got pregnant, his future was predictable. He was a skilled craftsman, known for his honesty and righteousness. He knew what to do and when to do it. His life was comfortable. He did not have a typical nine to five work day, but his town and his family would support him as he did what husbands and fathers were supposed to do. He was living, he was just an ordinary guy from an ordinary family, living in an ordinary town with an ordinary job. But then Jesus came along and his life got complicated real quick. For the next five years, his family was constantly on the move. In Bethlehem, they ended up staying in seclusion. Then they probably lived with relatives for a couple years. Then Joseph had to take his family into a foreign country for about two years. And if Herod ever found them, well, that would not have been a good thing. When Joseph proposed to Mary, this that wasn't what he signed up for. But because his but ugh, apologies. But because of Jesus, Joseph's life became unpredictable and confusing. He literally sacrificed his future for Jesus. Question is, was it worth it for Joseph to do that? Was it worth it for him to sacrifice his future for Jesus? Yes. First, God knew Joseph by name. Joseph may not have said as much, said much, but God mentioned Joseph's name about 15 times in the gospel. And every time the story of Jesus' birth is told, there's Joseph. And God tells us Joseph's husband, Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man. And that was in Matthew 1 and 19. Not many men are called righteous men in the scripture. In brief search, I, Mark, only found three men who were called righteous men. Abel, Noah, Abraham, that's about it. Joseph was one of the very select group of men that God wanted you and I to know about because they were righteous. God was saying, try to be like these guys because those men are the kind who impress me. So Joseph was a righteous man and that's probably why God chose him to be the earthly stepfather to Jesus. God knew Joseph could be trusted to do what God wanted done. God spoke and Joseph obeyed. And lastly, God supplied for Joseph's needs. When Joseph and Mary had to go down to Egypt, a journey of about 430 miles, God supplied financial help they needed to survive. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. As Psalm 34, 19 says, a righteous man may have, 
may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So it was worth it for Joseph to make to go through what he did to be used by God. But make no mistake, Joseph sacrificed because Jesus was in his life. And let's face it, everybody that Jesus touches is called the sacrifice. Jesus said, if anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That would be in Luke 9 and 23. If Jesus is in our lives, we are called to, if Jesus is in our lives, we are called to a life of sacrifice, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross every day and to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, whosoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whosoever finds his life will lose it, and whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. So Jesus called me to a life of sacrifice for him. What's that all about? Well, it's all about the difference between worldly thinking and Jesus's thinking. An illustration. Someone once, moti- once noted that there used to be a bumper sticker or with the words, drive carefully, the life you save may be your own. And that is the wisdom of men in a nutshell. By contrast, God says, the life you save is the life you lose. The life you clutch, hoard, guard and place safe with in the end is in the end a life worth very little to anybody including yourself and only a life given away for love's sake is a wife life worth living that reminds me of james chapter 5 which we're studying in um bible study actually a quick glance we went through that today sigmund freud once said in the depths of my heart i can't help being convicted Convinced, my my dear fellow men, with a few exceptions, are worthless. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm calling you to be one of those exceptions. I'm calling you, Jesus says, not to be worthless, but to be filled with worth. Now, here's the deal. You and I, not just Mark and I, not just Mark, but, you know, ourselves included, our lives have a plan. I didn't expect this to be in there, but I digress. When you become a Christian, you signed on to being used by God. So now you and I have purpose, a purpose in our lives. Our lives have meaning and value because God has given us purpose. If you go to Ephesians 2 and 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you first become a Christian, God started working on you. We're his workmanship. God created you in Christ Jesus to do good works that he had prepared beforehand just for you to walk in them. That means we've got a reason to get up in the morning. We have something that value. Yeah, sorry, I'm misreading, skipping lines here. We have something important to do for God. We are valuable to God. Earlier in the sermon, I listed some of the important sacrifices that Joseph made when Jesus came into his life. But what's interesting about Joseph's story is he never complained. 
God spoke, Joseph listened, and then Joseph obeyed. His whole life was turned upside down, but he simply trusted and obeyed. That's not the that's not the hymn. Didn't think so. The wise men left their homes and families and traveled several hundred miles to a foreign country. It would have been simply so much easier to send them a letter of congratulations. The shepherds left their flocks and traveled several miles on foot to find Jesus. And yet none of those folks ever complained. Why not? Another illustration. Have you ever seen a man and woman who are in love with each other? They sacrifice all kinds of time just to be with the one they love. They sacrifice all kinds of money to buy things for that person. If they can make something with their hands, they spend hours creating something special just for that person. I know two of them right now. On both counts, by the way. And yet, if you were to ask them about their sacrifices, they'd be shocked. They didn't view the time and the money and effort as being a sacrifice. They saw them as gifts of love. But on the other hand, if they didn't sacrifice that time, money, or effort for that special someone, if they viewed their efforts as a burden or an obligation, you might get the impression that they did not actually love that person. Do you remember after Jesus rose from the dead, he sat down to eat with his disciples? Uh, John 21, 15 through 17 reference. Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter did. From that day on, Peter was on fire for Jesus, and he sacrificed the rest of his life, and quite literally, depending on according to tradition, to serving, Je serving Jesus and taking care of his sheep. But I doubt he would have seen his efforts as being a sacrifice, an obligation, or a burden. Peter did what he did because he loved Jesus. Do you love me? Jesus has asked. We ask ourselves, what have I sacrificed for Jesus? But this morning, I'm going to ask you to imagine Jesus asking you, do you love me? And if you say yes, imagine, imagine Jesus saying, if you love me, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep, talk to my sheep. <laughs> if you love me, do whatever you got to do to take care of my church, my people, if you love me. Another illustration. This is a story that during World War II, a building in Strasbourg, France, was destroyed by bombings. After the attack, the members of that town took stock of the damage. One of the great sources of pride for that area had been a statue of Christ, which had been sculpted by great artists centuries before. It was a beautiful work of art. It showed Jesus standing in front of you with his hands stretched out. And the statue was still intact, except for one thing. 
When the bombs fell, a beam from the ceiling fell and sheared off Jesus' hands. There was another sculptor in Strasbourg who heard of that damage and said he could repair the broken hands as a gift to the village. The area leaders met to consider the offer and decided not to accept. They felt the statue without its hands would remind them that each one of them individually were hands of Christ and that Jesus expected his work to be done through them, his people. Today we are, there is a specific process to become one of Christ's hands that you need to go through. You just went through one of them now, in fact, hearing the word. Then you need to believe upon the word, that what I just said to you and what's in scripture there is indeed the word of God. You need to then repent of those sins, truthfully repent of those sins, and then confess them before men. And then you need to be immersed here in the waters of baptism. Okay, not here because it's not empty right now, but some body of water, obviously. And then after that, you need to be, you need to live your life and act as Christ's hands, as the people of Strasbourg decided to symbolize with the statue there. I realize this is a bit short, but again, my preparation was only a couple of hours. I apologize. But if you're one of those people that need help, whether it be needing to become one of Christ's hands and joining the church here, whether it be just needing to get something off your chest, um, something that you may need to repent of. If you, can you come forward, please, as we stand and sing our song of invitation?